0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's sermon podcast. In this sermon, we hear the elders' perspective on whether a church should be independent or in relationship with other churches. We also realize that many questions we face today were faced back when the church first started, and that can come as a relief. You're listening to Reading the Council's Mail by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the third epistle, the third letter of John, which is found on page number 1907 in your pew Bibles. This is the last in the series that we've been going through, uh, intermittent series, looking at the very small letters of the New Testament. Um, Some of them are a little strange and some of them we don't read very often, but all of them have been given to us by the Holy Spirit for our edification, including this one. So let's read it. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy... And to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from pagans." We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends here by name. This is the word of the Lord. In our old house, in the bathroom... Uh, Linda and I decorated by using some old postcards, early 20th century postcards from the early teens and and early 20s of the 20th century. And all those postcards had a certain theme. There was a certain element on the front, and that was they were all pictures around Sotus Bay, New York. And and we chose those pictures because that's where Linda's family cottage was, and that was a special place for us. And so it was nice to have these, these images of this special place in our bathroom. That's why we chose them. And they were kind of fun, old images. What I loved about those postcards was not just the pictures on the front, but I also loved the messages on the back. It is really fun to read old postcards. It's like a time capsule of a life that happened over 100 years ago. And my favorite one of all the cards that we had in the bathroom uh, was this one. It was addressed to Miss Minnie Lent in Palmyra, New York. And it says this in pencil. Dear Minnie and Winifred, nothing says 1910 like the names Minnie and Winifred. Having a dandy time, how is Minnie feeling? Better, I hope. Having fine weather, we expect Papa this boat. Just above the X is our cottage, and this is the place where we bathe. Lots of love from Dorothy and Maud. Now, I love that postcard. There's just enough there to give you the hint of a story. Just enough there that you sort of get the sense of some sort of plot line, but not enough to answer all your questions like, what's wrong with Minnie? Why is she sick? And will Papa's boat get there today? Reading the back of the postcard reminds me of reading the third letter of John. When you read 3 John, you get just enough to have the sort of the hint of a kind of a story behind it, but not enough to know completely what's going on in the lives of Demetrius, and Gaius, and Diotrephes, and the Elder. Here's the story as best we can piece it together. Somewhere in Asia Minor, there is a young church. Like all churches back then, it just started, let's say it was about 20 or 30 years old. And it was planted by one of the traveling missionaries, right? All the churches back then were planted by people like Paul who went out and shared the gospel. And because it's 20 or 30 years old, it's not really a brand new church. It's a church that's starting to get habits, right? They probably have a leadership structure. They might even have committees. Gaius is a member of this church. And he's clearly a leader in the church and a generous leader. He gives his time and his money and obviously he opens up his home. When other Christians come to town, when missionaries come through town, it sounds like they stay at Gaius's place. It's his way of supporting missions. So this generous hospitable man who welcomes other Christians into his home, Gaius, is a member of this church, and he's the recipient of this letter. The elder is the one who sent the letter. Now tradition tells us that's the Apostle John, but you'll notice the name of John doesn't actually appear in the letter. But let's go with tradition and say that Elder John wrote this letter. And he didn't just send this letter to Gaius in his little church. He's a member of another church far away and he's sending a visitor with the letter, and he wants this visitor to come and visit Gaius' church to check out how things are going, to give mutual greetings, and just to see how things are going in this young church. Demetrius is probably the person carrying the letter. Demetrius is a member of the elder's church. The elder sends him with the letter. He's the one who's going to give mutual greetings, and see how things are going in that church. And obviously, Gaius has never met Demetrius before. So in the letter, Elder John is giving Demetrius uh, some kudos. He's saying, hey, Demetrius, great guy. Everyone speaks well of him. Everybody loves Demetrius. Gaius, you can have him in your home. You don't have to worry about anything. The complication in this letter is Diotrephes. Apparently, this letter that's going with Demetrius is not the first letter that John has sent. Previously, John sent another letter with another visitor asking Diotrephes, who is a member of the same church, to take this person in and to give mutual greetings. But when that emissary arrived from John's church, Diotrephes slammed the door in his face and said, no, you're not staying at my home. And take your letter and go back to John. We don't need those fancy people over there in Ephesus looking over our shoulder. I don't want John meddling in our church. We're fine here. We don't need oversight from you. So go on. And Diophras felt this so strongly, was so strongly resistant to John sending a messenger to check out his church that he threatened to throw anyone else out of the church who welcomed a messenger from John. So summing up, what it seems like we have in this letter is a good old-fashioned church conflict. Church politics, everyone, first century style. And that makes 3 John a really different letter than than almost anything else in in the New Testament. I mean, you read the other New Testament letters, and they're full of encouragement and and beautiful rhetoric and soaring theology. You know, Romans, Ephesians. 3 John is like reading a grouchy council email. But it's a grouchy council email that the Holy Spirit has given us, a grouchy council email that the Holy Spirit has seen fit to put in Scripture. So obviously, this has something to teach us. What can we learn from listening to and watching what happens in this conflict in 3 John? Three things this morning, brothers and sisters. Three things the Spirit is saying to the churches through this letter. First, the Spirit is saying something about the way the churches should relate to each other. One of the challenges in the early church was that you had all these churches that had just been planted, right? All over the ancient Near East, Greece, and in Syria, and in Palestine, and in Asia Minor. You had these, all these little churches, like Gaius' churches, in Lystra, and Derby, and Antioch. And they're all starting up, and one of the fundamental questions is, how are these churches going to relate to each other? Are they going to have sort of mutual accountability? Are they going to try and keep in touch And all make decisions together and move together? Or are they all going to be independent? Are they all going to make their own decisions guided by the Holy Spirit and sort of do things for themselves? Fundamental question, right? You can kind of see how that would be an important question to answer. Diotrephus and Elder John have completely different answers to that question. Diotrephus is obviously an independence guy. He does not want visitors looking in on his business. He doesn't want anyone in Ephesus telling him what to do. He's all about church independence. Elder John comes down on the opposite side of the equation. He wants visitors to go back and forth. He wants accountability. He wants authority. He wants everybody to move together. The early church tension between independence or mutual accountability. That tension is still completely alive in the modern church. In churches today, it's still a very live question. To what extent does a congregation like LaGrave, to what extent are we independent and do our stuff with ourselves or are we accountable to the churches out there? To what extent do we have to answer to each other? To what extent do we have authority over each other? Currently, in that balance between independence and mutual accountability, everything is moving in one direction. I wonder if you know what direction that is. It's all going towards independence. Denominations are getting really weak. What are denominations? They're authority structures. They're accountability structures, right? Presbyterian, Christian Reformed Church, They're churches covenanting, covenanting together to do things together, to move together. But over the last, certainly over my whole lifetime, denominations are just getting weaker and weaker. Less and less people joining denominations, less and less churches and denominations, and individual churches don't send near as much money to central locations, to denominational headquarters. On the other side, what's growing in our church environment? Independent churches, non-denominational churches. If you see new churches starting up, so many of them are non-denominational, and you can see why, right? All the resources are for, for inside the church. You don't have to send money to anyone else. And if you're a leader in a non-denominational church, you don't have to answer to anyone else. You can do your own thing. It's much more efficient. That's the trend. Diotrephus would have loved that trend. He likes to be in charge. He doesn't want John looking over his shoulder. If Diotrephes were alive today, he'd be a megachurch pastor. He'd have his own 501c3, and he'd call it Diotrephes Ministries International. The modern tendencies might all be towards independence, but I think you will agree with me when I say that if you listen to what 3rd John is saying, all the push in 3rd John is going in the opposite direction. All the push in 3rd John is towards connection and accountability and authority and paying attention to each other. I have no greater joy, says John, than to know that my children are walking in the truth. My children. What does that metaphor suggest? Authority, oversight, accountability. John's vision for the church is all of us together. Kind of like last week with mutual submission, except not between individuals, now between institutions. This whole letter is an effort for churches to move together. This whole letter is a push in the direction of churches holding each other accountable and looking in on each other. And it's not just third John. You can make an argument that every single Epistle in the New Testament pushes in that direction, right? Every single letter in the New Testament is a letter from outside the church to another church. Two churches communicating, trying to hold each other accountable, trying to keep in contact, trying to move together under the power of the Spirit and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In every New Testament letter, the Spirit is saying it is not good for churches to go it alone. And that's not just true for churches, that's true for the individuals within churches. That there's a spiritual value for the individual in this mutual accountability. My wife, Linda, whose permission I asked to tell this story, um, grew up in Rochester Christian Reformed Church. And Rochester Christian Reformed Church was an echte Christian Reformed Church, a solid Christian Reformed Church with good Reformed preaching, where they sang from the Psalter hymnal and read the forms in the back. And that Christian Reformed Church nurtured her well, and she and her family loved that church. But every summer, Linda would go to a summer camp. And that summer camp was uh, full of other kinds of Christians who expressed their faith in a very different way, who were very expressive about their faith, who might come up to you and share their testimony, their personal testimony of what the Lord had done in their life. That church was full of speakers who might have something like an altar call at the end of their sermons. And Linda liked that exposure. It balanced her. It gave her a whole bunch of different ways of thinking about faith. That connection made her more rounded spiritually and also made her more proud of her own tradition. One time when she was working there in the summer, one person who worked alongside her came to her and said, y'all are a Calvinist, right? Yes, yeah, I'm a Calvinist. Y'all believe that Jesus saves people from the time before they were born, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what we believe. Well, why do y'all do evangelism then? And all of a sudden Linda had to think, you know, what 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 am I what is going on there? And and all that thinking, all that, that reflection made her more attached to her own commitments, to her own church. Sometimes we churchgoers talk as if this trend towards independence is is inevitable, or even good. But the push in the New Testament is all in the other direction. That's first point. Second point. If we listen closely to Third John, we also hear the Spirit saying to the churches something about the value of face to face. Did you notice verse thirteen? I have so much to say to you, but I don't want to write to you in in pen and ink. I want to wait till I can talk to you face to face. And maybe you'll remember that's the same thing almost exactly that John writes in his second letter to John. At verse 12, he says, I have so much to say to you, but I don't want to write in pen and ink. I want to talk to you face to face. I can't help thinking that if John were writing today and living today, he would say, I have so much to say to each one of you, but I don't want to say it on Zoom. I want to say it to you face to face. I am so grateful for Zoom. And I am so grateful for our live stream and all the people out there. May the Lord bless you. Uh, It's kept us connected through this pandemic, and it's been able to keep us strong and together. We've been able to do the business of our meetings and keep the business of the church going. It has been invaluable, and we will continue to need Zoom, and we will continue to need our live stream until all this is done. But as good as it is, the gold standard for human community is not Zoom. The gold standard for human community is face-to-face. That's not just something suggested in that closing greeting, that's something suggested in the substance of the letter of 3rd John. Why does he praise Gaius? Because Gaius is hospitable. He welcomes people into his home. They have face-to-face fellowship. That's a good thing. Why is Dio Prefus rebuked? Because he refused face-to-face fellowship. It's interesting. John says about Diotrephus is that he's not walking in the truth. But he doesn't say that, that Diotrephus has like committed any doctrinal error, right? Or, or is guilty of bad theology. Why is Diotrephus not walking in the truth? Because he's not practicing hospitality. He is not living Christian community. He is refusing face-to-face fellowship. There is something unique that happens in face-to-face fellowship. You get two things. You get blessing and you get grit. You're in the narthex after church and across the narthex you see Mary's face and you realize I haven't talked to Mary in so long. You go over to her and she tells you during the pandemic she had her first grandchild and two weeks ago she was fully vaccinated and she got to hold that grandchild, her first grandchild in her arms for the first time And she's telling you about that. She starts to cry and she says, I just felt God's faithfulness in my life in a way I've never felt it before when I held that grandchild in my arms. And her testimony about her blessing blesses you and you're both lifted up. That's the blessing of face to face. But then after you're done with Mary, you look across the narthex and there's Bob. And you know that Bob's wife was diagnosed with cancer a few weeks ago. And you've been meaning to call him, but you haven't called him. But seeing his face reminds you, I got to talk to Bob. And you go over there, and Bob starts to talk to you, and he talks to you, and he talks to you. And it's pretty clear he needs some time. So you find a place to sit down, and you keep on talking, and it turns out you talk until he's the last one to leave church. And it's an exhausting conversation, but it's good. That's the grit of face to face. And the blessing and the grit together build us up in the body of Christ. We need Zoom. We need live stream. There are people in this congregation who will continue to leave live stream and won't be able to come. So glad we have this tool. But the gold standard of human community is face-to-face. One more thing that the Spirit is saying to the churches in this letter. I said earlier that reading 3 John is less like reading an inspirational piece of writing and more like reading a cranky council email. And in a way, I find this cranky council email comforting. Why would I be comforted by this church conflict? Well, it's good to know that there have always been people like Diotrephus in the church and that church leaders have always had to deal with them. That's a good thing to know. It's good to know that this kind of conflict that we've seen throughout our history has always been there and the church has managed to survive it because it reminds us that the power of the church cannot be derailed by human shenanigans. Human shenanigans cannot subvert the mission of the church because the church belongs to Jesus Christ and is held by the Holy Spirit. Teotrephus could not undermine the gospel of God. The persecution of the Roman Empire could not undermine the gospel of Jesus. The barbarian invasions which threw the world upside down could not undermine the gospel. The bloodthirsty bloodletting of the Crusades could not undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. The shenanigans of some of the medieval popes who behaved more like frat boys instead of like church leaders, could not undermine the gospel of God. The bloodshed of the religious wars in Europe in the 16th century could not undermine the gospel of God. Mao could not change the gospel In China. Stalin could not undermine the gospel in Russia. And none of the secularism and the rise of the nuns and all the things that you see going on in society right now will ever undermine the gospel of God. Because the church is not run by human beings, it is run by the Holy Spirit. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. There's a lot of catastrophic rhetoric in society right now about what's happening in the church. A lot of it's coming from church people. And sometimes we make it sound like this is the worst time ever. The church is falling apart. We've never been under such pressure. And while... We need to be vigilant, and while we need to be on our guard against the devil and his schemes, this kind of catastrophism is nonsense. The powers out there cannot dethrone the power in heaven. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ our Lord, and nothing can dethrone it. There have always been fightings and fears along the road of faith, but the fightings and fears do not hold the road. Jesus holds the road and he will walk with us, and he will walk with us all the way home. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this body, the church. I thank you for the gift of La Grave Church. I thank you for brothers and sisters who care for each other. And I thank you most of all that you paid for this church with your blood and that you fill it with your Holy Spirit. And despite all our misgivings and despite all our uncertainty, nothing can shake us from your hand. Oh, Lord, keep us vigilant on the road. Keep us with our eyes fixed on you. Guard us from evil and bring us home. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.